Adrian, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We're super excited. We're huge fans of Ford and just excited to just learn about your story, your personal story, and then kind of everything that um, comes with Ford as well. So um, I guess before we before we get into all the business stuff, tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up and what kind of kid you were. What were you into? Uh, what kind of kid I was? Uh, you should really ask my parents. Um, uh, they're they're going to give the maybe not nice version. Um, so, uh, so I guess the, the first thing I should say is I was not born in this country. Um, uh, I'm an immigrant, uh, maybe, uh, potentially like yourselves. I don't know. Um, I was born in Paris, um, in France to, um, to I'm Lebanese blood. Um, and so I came to this country, um, uh, and I want you to picture, I want you to picture a kid in this, you know, growing up in LA, um, just down the street from you guys. Um, but imagine a kid who like, literally doesn't like can barely speak the English language. I got this thick French accent um, to the point where like, like we didn't speak English at home to, to the point where like I couldn't hear or even like, I couldn't say or even hear the difference between three free and tree. They all came out F W E E like free. So I was like the most made fun of kid you could ever possibly imagine. It was fucking terrible. Pardon my language. Uh, pardon my yeah. French. Um, and so, so I, so I had this like kind of interesting childhood, maybe interesting is not the pleasant, uh, not, not the reality. It was like not that pleasant. And so what happened was I grew up in LA at this school that was like not the best school, um, if we're going to be totally honest. And so, what school um, was it? uh, it was, I went to a school called Pilgrim school. Don't go there. Jesus Christ. Don't go there. Um, don't send your Did kids you say there. Pilgrim school? Pilgrim school. Did you go there? Wow. No, no, it, I've not heard of it, but it's an oh. interesting name. It's a, yeah, it's a piece of shit school, but, um, uh, it is. Um, and, and I'll tell you why I'll tell you why. Um, it's a school where being smart and doing well academically was like, not the, not good. It was not the cool thing. And so the smarter you are, the better you did academically, like the more you were made fun of. And, um, and so I like my, my parents were academics. I actually, um, you guys went to USC, uh, with me and like, my dad, uh, my actually both my parents worked at USC. My my parents were academics, um, and we didn't have much growing up. Uh, we were not we were not like well to do. We were actually one of the you know the the kind of lowest income families uh, at the school. My parents came to this country with basically nothing, like an education and nothing. But the one thing that they cared about was like you know what, dude, don't be an idiot. Like like care care about like learning things. Care about like discovering truth in the world. And, um, and so that, like, I grew up with that kind of principle. And so you're, so, so imagine being at the school where like, you don't know the cool things. You're not watching Beavis and Butthead. You can't afford cable anyway. Right. So like you barely have a TV in your damn house, but you do care to like learn things. And so you're just getting like attack left, right and center by the other kids. And like, honestly, I'm really, I'm really sympathetic to, to people who say like, Hey, we got to deal with like bullying in schools. And I'm not trying to say this to like have a pity party on me. Like I've, I've done just fine in the world, but like it definitely shaped a lot of, uh, of, of who I am. And it shaped a lot of how I kind of look at the world. Now there's some pros and cons, like, um, candidly, like I didn't have the most pleasant, uh, childhood, but part of it is it formed a little of who I am because imagine, Imagine going through a childhood where part of what you have to do is you just get really used to people kind of looking at you all day and being like, like, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm going to tell you that you're an idiot. I'm going to tell you this. And so you have to become incredibly internally motivated. So oftentimes you're like, ah, I'm part of a community. I'm part of this. And you, you kind of bond with your community. I didn't have a lot of that growing up. Um, I felt like an outsider. Now, some of that really sucks, obviously, but also some of that's incredibly helpful when you think about like 
uh, what it takes to go do a startup. Because part of what, what you're doing when you're doing a startup is you you kind of come out and doing a startup is an incredibly arrogant thing, right? You say, I've got an idea. So it's forward, we say, I believe I can do healthcare better than literally everybody on the planet. Like think of how obnoxious that is, right? Like, yeah, yeah, the whole planet's tried to do healthcare. Yeah, you're all wrong. We think we're going to do it better. Like this is literally the most hubris you could possibly have on the planet. And so what happens is everybody around you is just like, yeah, no, you're wrong. And you're wrong. And you're wrong. And you hear it all day, all day. And you're like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you. I'm just going to ignore you. You put your head down. You just work. You work. And you work. And maybe you get one person to agree with you. Okay, now you're, you're two people working against the world. Against the world. And then it becomes three. And then it becomes four. And then it becomes five. Now today, four, it is roughly about a thousand people. We've got God knows how many members and God knows how much of us. And, and you start to pick up steam. But honestly, you become really, really good at saying, I know what I know. And I'm going to ignore what everybody's telling me because you become this like internally motivated human. So in some ways, yeah, please go ahead. No, no, no. I I just have a quick question on that because it's super interesting that you bring that up is like what kind of gave you the confidence as a kid? Like when you're constantly hearing people making fun of you, you're just saying like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about or hey, you know what you're saying is stupid or you're an idiot or whatever. Uh, You know, was there anyone that was saying like, hey, Adrian, actually, no, you're a smart kid or you're onto something or or did you turn to things to keep that kind of just like anchor yourself and to just know that, hey, I'm not crazy. I'm actually, you know, confident in myself and I, and I know what I'm thinking is correct, yeah. I guess. Uh, it's funny. I not, did not expect this conversation to go in this direction. Um, uh, so uh, maybe I'll give you a little uh, – it's not easy for me to speak about, but I'll give you a little of the, the inside. Um, it's, not, um, it's not so much that I had confidence. Confidence. I'll actually tell you, it's a very hard time in my life. Um, uh, like I, multiple times as a kid, like you know, very seriously thought about taking my own life. Um, what I did have, on the other hand, was I grew up in a family because I grew up in a family of academics. Um, you know, just to give you a sense, like my dad's a linguist and he studied under Chomsky at MIT. So imagine, like, imagine growing up like literally with like Chomsky at the dinner table, imagine growing up and just being like your entire world is based on logic. Right. And this is something I learned very early on. And so for me, it was like, I could be provably right on things. Like when, when I say this, these are my views on healthcare. It's not an opinion. It's like, no, no, no. I have, I have axiomatic proofs. Like, yeah. Can I give you empirical evidence of that? No. But like, again, I have first order reasoning, right? I have first principles reasoning on like how I come to these conclusions. And so even at a young age, when I was like, this is what I believe, it's like, I, it's not just some random belief. It's like, here's how I can structure the argument to get there. And so it's not so much that I was confident. I actually had very little confidence. Um, I was incredibly insecure. Um, that being said, it was a little more like, well, I st- you can be not confident, you can be insecure and still know that two plus two is four. And for me, it was like the same thing. I still knew that like, this is the way things should be. Um, and I've carried that forward, um, uh, no pun intended, um, to, uh, to this kind of point uh, in my life. Adrian, when I just saw your name, I thought of, and I think he's your father, because he was a professor or dean at the time at USC, was Joseph Allen, right? Yeah, yep. So, you know, not only you grew up in an academic family, but yeah. it's it's a, a family where there was a lot of obviously upward growth from the academic perspective. These people became, you know, I don't know about you know where your mom's career ended up, but I do know your father, per, you know, not personally, but I know his story and how he's the president of Northeastern now. Um, 
but did you have any passions towards academics or going down a similar path? Um, yeah, it's funny. So, so you're, you're, you're right. There's a lot of, uh, let's just say a lot of ambition in my family. Um, uh, so, so in some ways, um, uh, you know, my dad started as, uh, as, I mean, the lowest of the low, like, you know, whatever they call it, associate professor, half professor, something like that at, at USC. And over the course of about 20 years, ended up as dean and, and then uh, now runs a university on the East Coast. Um, I, I was always interested in education, super interested in education. I was never interested in academia. And let me kind of explain this. When I when I left um, uh, USC, actually, uh, it was a pretty interesting conversation with my family. I went up to my dad. I had two bachelors and a master's, and I went up to my dad. I said, "Okay, think I'm I think I'm not going to get my PhD." And my dad looks at me and he's like, "Really? You're you're going to get a JD?" And I go, "Nope, not going to get a JD." And he goes, "You're going to get an MBA? We don't get MBAs." And I go, "Nope, nope." He goes, "You're going to go to med school?" And I go, "Nope." And he goes, "I don't get it. Wait." You're dropping out? And I go, well, hold on, hold on. Like, I don't think I have, like, two bachelors and a master. I don't really think this is, like, dropping out, per se. And he just looks at me and goes, like, oh, really? Like, you're you're the dropout of the family. And let me be clear. I'm, like, the least educated in my family by far. Um, now, now um, again, because my family grew up with with nothing. And so so from their perspective, like, education is, like, the one thing that nobody can ever take away from you. So it's it's incredibly highly valued. My, my, my parents were educated both in the Jesuit school system um, uh, in the Middle East, and, and they highly, highly value it. It's like it's a free education in the Middle East. And it was the one thing where it's like it's the great equalizer, right? You may not have much in the world, but, but you can have, uh, you can have the, the pursuit of, uh, of, of intellect. And so for me, I've always been fascinated with, with the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of advancement. But when I look at academia... The thing that I was that I never loved was that it was like what it's all in service of what of like we're writing papers and and I want impact like I actually get incredibly incredibly frustrated when people focus on input more than output. I spent I spent some time working at Google um, and actually the the thing that I hated the most about Google was if you look Google is like roughly the world's smartest people sitting around literally playing with toys. And it's like, I, I was in the search engine uh, division, right? And we had, I mean, we built this like AI team that was like the world's best AI team, like thousand people of the smartest minds I could ever possibly imagine being around. And they were writing the like most impressive software, the most impressive technology. And I would encourage you right now to go to google.com and type in whatever you want, you're going to get 10 fucking blue links. You know what you got at google.com 15 years ago? 10 fucking blue links, right? It's like, we have all this. What's it doing? It's doing nothing. Literally, it's doing nothing, right? And this is the absurdity, right? I hate I hate when you're not having impact. I, want, I don't want to be on my deathbed going like, wow, I wrote some really awesome papers. I want to be on my deathbed going like, I changed somebody's life. And not only I changed somebody's life, but I changed lives of the people where it's like, it matters the most. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like I, when I look at my life, I've been handed a lot. Like, yeah, I can I can bitch and moan about my childhood. But let's be real. Right. Like I grew up in L.A. And like my the, my biggest complaint is, you know what? People made fun of me. You know, like if that's my biggest complaint, like, you know, we're doing just fine. Right. Adrian, I want to play I want to play devil's advocate for a second here for those that are listening. Um, and I personally agree with you in terms of the impact. But there are some people out there and some people listening right now that are probably thinking, you know, I'm happy just 
going to my job, making money, and that's that's it. I don't really give a shit about making impact. I don't really care to be known. I don't want to start a company. I just want to go to work, come home at night, be by myself, or be with my family, play with my dog, and do it over and over and over again, right? So, you know, what about those people, right? Like, what do you say to them? Yeah. So, first off, everybody gets to choose what they do with their life. There's no one right answer. I'm going to tell you what, how I chose what I want to do with my life, okay? So when I was, uh, when I was about 22, I, uh, I sold my first company and, you know, made a bunch of money. And you think like, well, building companies, obviously, to make money. So now I got a bunch of money, so I should spend the money. So I started spending a bunch of money. And uh, honestly, I got tired of it pretty fast. And I was like, well, wait, now that I'm tired of it, what do I want to do? Wait, I just want to go back and work. And this was really kind of a mind fuck because you're like, wait, the point of working is to make money. Uh, I have the money, but all I want to do is work. So I got really confused. And I'm like, well, maybe I should spend a bit, little more time and be thoughtful about why I want to work. And so I started reading and I read a bunch of philosophy, which I know is a little weird for a 22 year old, but bear with me. And I came across this guy um, named John Rawls. Have you, have you heard of John Rawls? He's a philosopher, right? Okay. So Rawls, um, Rawls is like basically my, my favorite philosopher. And Rawls came, um, uh, he wrote this thing called the theory of justice. I think it was like late seventies, um, early eighties. So he's a political philosopher and political philosophers, their job is basically to, um, to define like what is a just or a fair society. Now you and I know society is not fair, right? You could be born as a dollar a day baby with HIV in the middle of Rwanda. You could be born as Bill Gates's kid, right? And like one of those like, fuck, not great. And one of those, holy shit, great, right? So you know society is not fair. So what he said is you should design society with what he calls a veil of ignorance as to which part of society you're going to be born into, right? Now, look, I'm not Bill Gates's kid, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure it's that far from me. I was born to a, a good family in a developing nation. I had a roof overhead, food on the table, a good education. And let's be real, I'm into tech in the year 2000. It's a little like being Michelangelo and like painting and looking around and be like, holy shit, it's the Renaissance. I just got lucky. You know what I mean? And so I realized that it's only fair that I give back more than that dollar a day baby in, uh, in Rwanda. And so I want to spend my life, I think it's my obligation to spend my life doing what I can to help others that haven't been handed the world. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but that's what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. What was that feeling like at 22? I mean, that's like you're a college graduate and you have this money. I mean, what were you spending on? Like you said, you were spending it. I mean, were you spending it on, you know, things or were you investing it? What were, what were you doing with it? Hookers and blow. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I, things, things. I was t- into cars, but like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not very materialistic. So it wore off pretty fast. I, I actually like, I own uh, like literally almost everything I own fits in a backpack right now. Um, I, I, I've just never really been into stuff. I mean, look at how I dress. I've got like a cheap blue, you know, plain t-shirt on. Um, and so, so, for me, like, yeah, I do a bunch of investing now, et cetera, but it's never been a primary driver for me. For me, the primary driver, and by the way, it's not that I care to start companies. I don't actually hate certain companies. It's not that I care about fame. I actually detest uh, fame. I hate to tell you this, but I actually really detest doing interviews. I just like building things. Um, uh, like, 
I don't, I don't want my name out there. Um, uh, the only reason I do these is because I think it can advance our cause. Um, uh, I don't. Plus, uh, we went to USC and um, part Lebanese, so uh, you know. You know that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I look. I just, for me, I just want, I just want to help people. Like, and I know that sounds really kitschy and it sounds really lame, but like, literally, that's all. That's all that really, uh, that really matters. Um, and I think that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to look back and care about my resume. I don't think I'm going to look back and care about a big house and a boat and, and jets. I think I'm going to care about, you know, like, did, did my life mean something? Did I use it? Did I use it to the fullest? Did I, did I use my opportunity on this planet um, in a way that I, that I'm proud of and, and that mattered. And to me, that's, that's the thing that, uh, that I, that I want now. Yeah. Now I read Rawls, but the reality is we all know this. Whether you want to call it Catholic guilt or the Golden Rule or karma or whatever you want, we've all learned the same damn lesson, you know? Right. Yeah. What was your mindset like in college? I'm assuming you started the company that you sold um, around that time, or probably right after you graduated. What was your mindset like back then, and and what was the company you started? And kind of share like a little bit about. I mean, selling a company at 22—that's pretty pretty damn awesome. Um, yeah, it's actually, uh, started when I was 13, believe it or not. Um, uh, and so when you start a company at 13, everybody, um, uh, thinks it's a joke. Um, uh, I, I was, I did not think it was a joke. Um, I think I'm the only one. Um, and so, uh, it started by building, uh, building websites, which believe it or not, just building websites was like a thing back then. Now it's like, I remember freewebs.com was that, I mean, what were you using to build websites? Uh, uh, we wrote our own code. Uh, this was you, pre at 13. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then we very quickly realized that like actually building websites wasn't the thing. It was like hosting websites was the thing. It was like building websites was a service, hosting websites, you could like actually scale. Um, and so we started, you know, um, buying servers, um, we got a data center, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, uh, so that was, that was my first company. Um, uh, it was, you know, it was an interesting learning experience, um, uh, by, by all means, it grew to be a real company. Um, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't incredibly thoughtful. Um, I was playing with cool tech. I was exploring the internet sort of things. Um, I, I didn't have a strong thesis of like, this is what I want to do for humanity. My, my next company after that, um, uh, so after that, I spent a little time at Microsoft, um, uh, not very much time. I, I don't do the big company thing very well. But after that, I started a company in the AI space. Um, and here I, uh, I started to be a little more thoughtful where I said like, look, um, AI in some ways is a great equalizer, right? AI starts to bring, um, if you just think of it as, as, as a utility, right? It starts to bring, it's the modern calculator, right? It's the modern internet. Um, it brings, um, it democratizes um, uh, roughly um, technology or democratizes utility for, for the masses. And if you think about what that does is it takes... The, the folks in these developing nations and it gives them a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the things that you and I have today you and I have an amazing education you and I have amazing tools that they don't have access to but the second uh, the second we have uh, better and better AI all of a sudden they might have the same things you see the early forms of this today right um, as we build tools like Google all of a sudden developing nations start to elevate as we build tools like weather prediction, all of a sudden, if you're running a farm in, uh, in Africa, all of a sudden you say, hey, wait a minute, my economy does better and better. Well, if you can build generalized AI models, 
all of a sudden, you know, the United States is not that much better than the rest of the world. And like, we start to all be on a level playing field and we start to elevate everybody. And this is a fantastic thing. So I spent a bunch of years um, working on that. It's a very hard problem, of course, but I spent a bunch of years. Is it still like in your early twenties? Yeah. 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 I spent, I spent a bunch of my twenties working on that, uh, on that problem. Google ended up acquiring that company. um, And so that lives, uh, that lives on at Google. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that was you sold when you were 22. No, that's a company I sold when I was. Uh, geez, I don't even remember 20, 27, 28, something like that, maybe. 27, 28, and then you went on to to work at Google. Um, yeah, so I doing, spent. Yeah, so I, spent, I think I thought you were head of special projects for the CEO. What, what is that? In, it's so, it yeah. sounds so like secretive. What does that what, even what, mean? Yeah, what, it's what like, <laughs> So basically, so so Google acquired that company. Uh, it was in the AI space. Um, uh, helped. Uh, so I basically helped build a bunch of the AI um, uh, kind of division at Google. Um, when I got there, there wasn't that much of an AI division. Um, um, so we were kind of building a bunch of it from uh, scratch. So we're, there's AI in kind of a bunch of disparate orgs, but we didn't have uh, kind of a central AI division. So I spent a, a bunch of time doing that. I actually got really frustrated, as I mentioned, because um, uh, because frankly, it was bunch of cool tech and not enough impact. So I actually, after, after uh, roughly about a year or so quit. Um, and I had this interesting experience, which is our, our CEO at the time was Larry, uh, Larry Page, the founder. And uh, Larry, I remember kind of came into my going away party. Everybody's, you know, drinking some champagne, having a bus. And Larry comes in, he's like, why are people celebrating? And I'm like, well, cause you know, I'm leaving. Um, and he goes, no, you're not. And I go, well, I get that you're, you know, like rich, powerful guy, but you know, I get to choose what I'm leaving. Um, and he's like, swing by my office after your party. And so I swing by his office um, and uh, I go on a walk. And um, and it was actually a really fascinating experience. Um, we we started talking and he's like, why are you leaving? And I go, and I'm a fairly blunt human. So I go, well, I'm leaving because like, we're not innovative. We're not doing things, you know? Um and he goes, what are you talking about? And we just start going org buyer. He's like, look at what YouTube's doing. Look at what search is doing. Look at what ads is doing. Look at what Google Docs is doing. And I'm like, literally, I just start punching back org buyer. I'm like, there's not a fucking thing you can name that Google has done in the last 10 years. It's been innovative that, like, frankly, we haven't purchased. Like, And we start arguing for roughly, I don't know, two hours. And at the end of two hours, he goes, actually, I just roughly agree with everything you're saying. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I just wanted to hear you argue it. And I'm like, what? And, uh, and he goes, yeah, I'm basically, uh, kind of, uh, I'm kind of over Google too. And I go, well, now I'm definitely leaving, (laughs) you know? And he goes, um, I'm thinking of doing something new. Um, why don't you do it with me? And I'm like, is Larry Page asking me to co-found a company? What is going on right now? I'm confused. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and so we ended up spending the weekend kind of talking through ideas. Um, and so you didn't know, you didn't have anything planned. You were just going to leave. Uh, oh no, I, I had a company I wanted to start. Um, oh no, I yeah, definitely okay. had a company I wanted to start. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so, uh, I basically quit on that Friday. I actually ended up rejoining by that Monday, um, in this new role, which was, I was going to run, uh, or I did, uh, run special projects for all Google. So I was kind of Larry's right hand man for, um, for the coming years. And basically what it entailed was, you know, what in essence kind of became alphabet. And so the idea was it was too hard to innovate inside of Google. It was just like classic innovators dilemma became too large. So we, uh, so what we decided we were going to do is take the good parts of Google, AKA the bank accounts, um, and, uh, and spend it on, uh, and spend it on, um, uh, startups that only Google could do. 
So in some ways, it's really fascinating, right? You're a kid in a candy store. So you get to look across the world's problems. Um, and this is something that Larry and I did a bunch of. We just said, like, let's just go imagine what is the future of healthcare look like? What's the future of, and really interesting problems. What's the future of birth control look like? What's the future of prisons look like? Can we get more people out of prisons? Can we, can we think of it as reform? What's the future of transportation look like? What's the future of cities look like? What's the future of uh, education look like? And we just looked across all these like enormous world problems from food to you name it. And then said like, what can we do in these spaces? And then, um, and then in essence, my job was to go start companies in those spaces. And, 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 uh, and you see um, that some of those became alphabet companies. So a good example is um, was this Cyber- X Lab, by the way, or was this no, different than X-Lab? No, Google X was actually uh, more Sergey's um, uh, thing. Um, oh, so uh, they had competing internal, like uh, specialties. Maybe not competing, but different approaches. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Healthy competition. Yeah. Um, uh, One was the, like, the, I'm going to be Tony Stark. And one was the, like, I'm going to, you know, build businesses. Um, And, uh, and his, his was really, really cool tech. Um, uh, They, they were more the, like, you know, the balloons and self-driving cars and ours was more like, like uh, a lot more kind of systemic problems. So we did, for example, we did Sidewalk Labs, which is um, working on um, kind of, can we create a better city? It's a really hard problem if you think about it. Um, tons of cool things you can do there, but very hard problems. Um, can we create better healthcare? Um, one of the things I, uh, I worked on was um, uh, was food. Um, can we can we create like what's the future of food look like? Um, can I can I what would a world look like if um, if I could create uh, you know chocolate that um, had the nutrition of uh, you know of, of salad? Um, uh, would that you know would the entire world just be be healthier tomorrow? Like that'd be fantastic. It was um, almost like you were like in this like fantastical mindset, right? Like let's just think of the biggest problems in the world and come up with a crazy solution and then just figure out if it works. And, and you know, yeah. no knock on you, but like, obviously there's so many impressive people at Google. What, what do you think was about, was it like the fact that you're just straightforward with Larry and he just like respect you and appreciated you to like want to do this with you? Um, so I think there's, I think there's probably um, one, uh, maybe two fundamental things. And, and I, and I don't know this, you'd have to ask him, but there's probably two fundamental things. One is when you're at a company of that size and scale. Um, so I'm not going to name the name of the person because um, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I'm going to give you a really good example. Um, when I left Google, when I quit Google that first time, um, one of the SVPs sat me down. And he, uh, I, you know, I go into his office and I'm like, hey, buddy, you're a good friend of mine. I'm going to tell you I'm leaving. I want you to hear it from me. And he sits me down and closes the door and he goes, hey, you know what the fuck are you doing? And I go, what do you mean? He's like, what are you doing? This is the gravy train. He's like, we're making bank. You don't got to do anything. No one's going to fire you. You're going to make all this money. Don't worry. Just shut up. Sit down. You're going to be great. And what you realize is that's the culture. The culture is nobody wants to actually innovate. They just want their money. And I'm going to be honest. That was like It was very clear, very clear to Larry and very clear to anybody you could not buy me like that, like full stop. In fact, when I ended up leaving, when I ended up leaving Google, multiple people came up to me and were like, Hey, we'll double your salary if you stay. And I was like, not like, it's not a concept. Like that's not why I'm here. Um, uh, and so, so that was number one. Um, that's why, like I had no problem telling Larry at every point, tell you, he and I got into some very loud shouting matches 
maybe not all that I, uh, that I should have, but, um, but I had no problem saying like, this is what's right for what I care about. What I care about is not Google the company. What I care about is what, I mean, I, I told you what I want out of my life, which is I want to, uh, I want to improve humanity. And if mm-hmm. what I'm doing here helps with that, great. And if what I'm doing here doesn't help with that, that's fine too. Did um, you, did you, did you think he would say like, let's do it here? Or he could have easily just said, all right, go do whatever you want on your own. Like you don't have to be at Google if you're, if you're trying to save humanity, I'll, I'll fund you. Well, the interesting thing is I think that Larry cares more about humanity than I think he cares about Google. Um, and that's why I think we're actually aligned. Uh, now I'm putting words in his mouth. You can go ask him. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, but I actually think that um, I actually think that he cares deeply about making the world a better place. And you know, I, my assumption. It's interesting that you know that we're going down this path. Um, you know, two points. I think one more companies than one would assume, and more people in those companies care more about their salaries and money than anything else. I think like. A lot of people do stay at a company and they get paid in that that thing where you said, you know, why are you leaving? Like, we get paid so well here and we don't have to do anything. I think that happens a lot. I do think that, you know, the world we're living in today, and I'm talking about like July 2022 and where things are headed, I think shit might hit the fan for some of those companies as they will be exposed. Uh, and two, I do think that more people than we think do care more about the world than they're than what they get paid and about their jobs, but they just haven't found a way to align those interests. And, you know, I do think that we are in this place as a world where, you know, not to get political, but I was reading that article about Mitt Romney and the Atlantic and just about both parties and where things are headed, but it's time that we start giving a shit about one another and society more than our personal selves, because we're not headed in the right direction. And I do think the companies that, understand that and build those companies in the next 10, 12, 15 years, um, I think they're going to be the winners, frankly, both from an impact perspective, but also from a financial perspective, I think they're going to be rewarded for their impact because you do need to align those interests. I think social entrepreneurship just needs to become entrepreneurship, right? Like that needs to be the new way because we've realized the inefficiencies of government and that the private sector does have more influence in change and impact so you know to that to that point i I feel like certain industries especially you mentioned education which is something i am very interested into and and listen to podcasts about and stuff too and i think it might have been mark and or someone talking about it about how like it's literally a cartel right like the department of education uh the way these like universities are run um any kind of disruptive technology that tries to come in um usually is is kind of killed or try you know these a lot of pushback obviously to the point where they can't really make the massive change obviously healthcare is one of them and we'll talk about that too but what kind of what kind of person do you think it takes to like not just want to make a change and make an impact in these industries but actually go out there and like literally be willing to be crushed like completely crushed going against these massive you know cartel style run industries you know here in the united states um yeah yeah. So, so one of the things that, um, you know, you, you have this, um, not you, but n- many people have this view of CEOs and founders as this, like, they live this glorious, amazing life. They make all this money, they're at the top, et cetera. Like, 
you know, everybody has this view except founders. <laughs> um, and I will tell you, one of the reasons why, you know, pe people often ask me, well, why, why, are there, why is nobody else doing forward? And, um, and one of the best answers I can give people is, well, you need another founder who, um, who can raise this much money, uh, which means they've, you know, had a decent amount of success, right? Um, and just wants to do it again. And you know what? I will tell you, I got tons of friends, tons of friends who are successful founders. Not a single fucking one of them wants to do it again. Like almost none of them. And you know why? Because it fucking sucks. Pardon my language. Um, but it just sucks. And again, I'm not trying to like, please, do, this is not a, 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 you know, a cry for pity. But I'll tell you, it's a thankless job. And yeah, I know somebody's somebody's listening and be like, but you get tons of money and you get tons of this. It's like, yeah, but but once you stop caring about the money, you very quickly realize like like that's it's just not worth it. Especially money has massive diminishing returns. Um, uh, and so what you actually get is you just get criticized and attacked by an enormous amount of people. Whether it's whether it's you know, if, imagine if you're at Google today, like ask yourself why why do Larry and Sergey not work at Google? Well, their own employees hate them. Like their own employees yeah. go to work every day and hate them. You know who's one of the people I respect most right now um, is Mark Zuckerberg. Imagine, imagine showing up to your company, right? I don't know how many years he's been doing it. It's like 20 or something, 15, 20. Yeah. And like yeah, you're actually years. going through one of your worst years, one of your worst years. All your employees fucking hate you. And you're, you're worth a God knows like 100 billion, 50 billion, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. At some point it's, you know, N billion and you're still showing up. Like, like that is impressive beyond belief to me because it's so easy to be like, you know what, fuck all of you guys. Like, I'm good. You know, I don't need any of this. And like, that's really impressive that he just cares so deeply about his mission that he's like, yeah, I know you all hate me, but I believe what I'm doing is good. Now, whether or not you actually think what he's doing is good, I'm not going to, like, like, let's right. put that aside. But it's, it, there's something admirable about that. And it's really, really hard. So again, I want you to put yourself in the shoes. Ignore me for a sec. Put yourself in the shoes of Larry and Sergey. So these guys are like, wait a minute. Everything I try to do, the whole world comes at me and just like literally attacks me. But I want to be clear. What you're mad at me for is I literally got all information to the entire planet for free. And you're mad at me? Like you, like literally you're mad at me. You should literally be like, like making me your God, but you're mad at me. This is like, but that's what it's like right now. Yes, of course. People are like, and you got a hundred billion dollars and you did all these wrong things with data, et cetera. And don't get me wrong. There are externalities and there are problems to this. I'm not, I'm not oblivious and I'm not, I'm not an idiot, but the reason a lot of these folks pull out and say, I'm not going to go work on the next thing is not that they don't want to. It's that it's so thankless. And so, um, and so this to me is like one of the hardest parts. So, so I, so when I think about like, I do want to go like candidly, I want to take down the entire healthcare industry. Cause I think, I think it's all a sham. I think they're scamming every single person in this country. I think they're like healthcare is 20% of GDP. That means 20% of every single fucking person in this country's paycheck is going to a healthcare industry that is doing nothing to keep you alive. I, I think, I think it's abominable. I think they should be put in jail. Like I really, I want it to end because I think we need to do better for humanity. Right. And I want to fight this cause. I really do. And even I sometimes sit there and go, 
but man, like you're making it really hard for me to want to fight this cause. You know what I mean? Because like, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, so what, Adrian, what's keep, what, what keeps you going? Like knowing that and like knowing that you don't really care about the money, like, you know, how do you get through the challenging tough days? Because I'm certain those are probably more prevalent than the good ones, especially in an, in an industry like healthcare. Like, what keeps you going? Like, why are you still doing this? Yeah. Um, because I'm not sure I could look myself in the mirror if I didn't. And because, because I would have to look myself in the mirror that very next day. And I would have to say to myself that somebody like, I don't know, like critiquing you in a tweet or in a, or, you know, coming up to you in a meeting and like, I don't know, like, like telling you, you suck is the reason you didn't keep going. And because of that, you're letting, you know, millions of people potentially like die. Like that, that's your logic, Adrian. Like you're an asshole. Like, like, no, like do better. And so I just hold, I just hold a higher bar. Like at some point, like, like if, if not you, then who? That's the question that you have to ask. There is no other backstop in this world. There is nobody else behind you that's going to pick up the torch. Right. And so, so at some point you need to show up. Right. Like when you take a step back, there's there's almost eight billion people on this planet. I think it's high seven, high seven billion. Less than two billion of them have access to any form of what you and I would call a real form of health care. Mm-hmm. That's scary. That's bad. Right. That's really, really bad. When you look across even the United States, even a developed nation, and you look at the quality of the shit that we get, like here's how bad health care is. Let me just kind of paint the picture for you. Okay. Let's pretend, ooh, I apologize. Let's pretend that you that you weren't born in this century. Let's go all the way back to the Bronze Age, 5,500 years ago. This is roughly as far back as we can trace humanity, 5,500 years ago, okay? Um, and let's compare how technology has developed. Let's start by asking, how has transportation developed? 5,500 years ago, you started by walking on your own two feet. You could walk, what, maybe five miles a day, maybe seven miles a day. Your feet would get tired. I mean, you're walking on your own two feet. You know what you did? You developed, you invented sandals. Smart guy. Now you're up to 10 miles, maybe even 20 miles a day. You did that for roughly 2,000 years. Wow. Okay, then you wanted to go further. You know what you did? You tamed horses. Now you're up to 50, maybe even 100 miles, right? You did that for another 2,000 years. Then you know what you did? You're like, I want to go further. And just in the last 200 years, you start going after, you know, like uh, you start going after trains, you after planes, automobiles. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, that 100 or 200 miles starts going to thousands of miles. Then we start going. NASA is like, we're going to go to the moon. And now you're up to 125,000 miles. And then SpaceX is like, we're going to Mars. And now you're up to 120. 25 million miles. So we went from literally five or seven miles to 125 million miles. And that's the progression. Okay. Now let's look at healthcare. 5,500 years ago, what was life expectancy on this planet? Well, if you were born, you had roughly uh, a third probability of dying roughly in infancy. Okay. That's pretty bad, but let's pretend you didn't die right on the vine. Okay. You survive. Okay. So two thirds chance you survive. Your life expectancy, 47 years old. You know what life expectancy is today? That's 70 years old. Okay. So we increase life expectancy on this planet roughly about 50%. So with transportation, we increased it roughly about 125 million X. And with with health, we increased it by 0.5. 
5x. Like, lit and you know this, right? Because we had a, we just had a global pandemic. And what was our first solution? Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Take a piece of paper and put it in front of your face. That's literally, like, like on one side, I've got rockets. And on one side, I've got pieces of paper. Like, this is healthcare. And you know this, right? Because if one of your friends walks up to you and says, you know what? Hey, uh, hey, Patrick, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't get my checkup this year. I didn't go to the doctor. I didn't get my checkup. You don't go, oh, shit, Bobby. Bobby's going to die. You go, I'm not sure it matters. I'm not sure it does anything, right? This is how little the healthcare system is doing. This is what we have today. We have to do better. We have mm -hmm. to get to a world. Where are my, where's my rocket ships in healthcare? That's what I want. You know, yep. it's a very interesting comparison. And it's, I really hope people listen to what you said. And to me, it's concerning and upsetting that, there's only a few people like you in this space, let's say, that are this passionate and willing to make a change, right? Like, I think to myself, where did we fail, right? And I think to myself, if there were more Adrians, then you don't have to be waking up feeling like you are responsible for people's health and people's lives. That's a great thing. Sure, it's admirable. But at the same time, like when you said that, I'm thinking to myself, why do I want one Adrian to care so much? Why can't I have thousands of Adrians that are building these companies that wake up every day and are improving the industry versus just building a company, right? Because to me, like, and that's not a knock on you. It's a concerning no, thing that we don't have more entrepreneurs and more incentives for these people to go out and do something. And this is why, this is why we're talking right now, because so one thing people ask me is, um, is who are your competitors? And I always have this kind of funny, funny view because I'm like, well, first off, um, uh, I haven't met them. I, I hope to. And, and I'll tell you why I hope to. I, imagine walking up to, I don't know, UNICEF and being like, hey, is Doctors Without Borders your competitor? And they're like, well, we're trying to help people. Do you think like when somebody else wants to help people, we say, no, 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 we got this. We got this. Like, look, we need we need more people helping people. Like, we're not going to solve healthcare in the next week. And you know what? If you somehow happen to solve healthcare in the next week, I'm going to move on to climate change. There's enough problems on this planet for all of us. Don't worry, you know? So, so yes, yes, we need more people. And honestly, one of the things that scares me the most is if forward doesn't work, like, and by the way, we're going after a big fucking problem. Like, let's not presume that like, oh, it's in the bag. Like if forward doesn't work, I don't see the other people that are working on this right now. I don't see the other people that say, hey, we're going to go solve healthcare for the planet. And that, that scares the living shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. It is scary. Mm -hmm. So going back to the beginning of forward, you're at Google, you're working on all these different projects, all these different big, huge, you know, industries that have all these problems or you see, you know, significant uh, you know, potential for improvement in how did you land? Where did the idea or like what ultimately inspired you to, to, to land on forward? And what was like that initial kind of step in terms of, I don't know how much you knew about the industry at the time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you had to probably go out there and do a bunch of research and, and kind of like learn. Not really. Yeah. So tell us about oh. that. Don't, yeah. So <clears throat> don't learn the industry. Um, <laughs> and, and it's actually really important to not learn the industry. If you want to build, uh, if you want to build the future of something, learning the industry is almost always the wrong idea. Like, could you imagine if, if step one of building Google was like, great, let's learn the Dewey Decimal System. It's like, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Like, really don't do that. You know what I mean? In, in yeah. fact, like, like 
in fact, I'll, I'll tell you right now for anybody listening who's like, oh, I want to go work at uh, work at Ford potentially. Like, I will just tell you, the more that you know about the healthcare industry, the less we, uh, the less likely we are to hire you. Like, we don't care about the industry. We are not trying to solve the industry. We're trying to solve healthcare. We care about the care. So, um, so we we absolutely care about how does the human body work. We care about how is care delivered. We don't care about the industry. Look at the industry and look at what healthcare as an industry has done in the United States in the last seventy five years. It's all financial innovation, right? Um, Medicare for all. All we're talking about is who pays for it, right? Copays, um, uh, Obamacare, um, you know, high deductible. All of this is financial innovation. Never once is somebody coming up and being like, "Hey, can we actually talk about like the care, like?" No one's interested in just making you live longer. They're all interested in how are we going to extract more dollars out of this system? And I don't want to talk about that. I have hundreds of people, hundreds of engineers sitting about five feet from me right now that are working on like, how do I prevent cancer? I do not have hundreds of engineers working on new ways to bill you. That's not interesting to me, right? And so I don't want to learn about the industry. In fact, most of most of what you want to know about uh, about how care actually works... I, I hate to say this. It's like, go back to Hippocrates, go back to the, the, the Greeks. It hasn't changed that much since then, which I know is appalling. And don't get me wrong. Hippocrates had some pretty crazy views, but like the idea of like, well, there's a diagnosis, there's a treatment. It comes from, a, you know, from roughly that era. It hasn't changed that much. The things that we have been innovating on in recent memory, you can mostly throw out. And so, so what, for me, I got exposed to healthcare, um, uh, frankly, because, um, you know, some of my family, my, my brother had, uh, had a heart attack. And so immediately I was like, whoa, what is going on in this industry? Like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, you know, it's people, it's people dealing with them with like a clipboard and, pay, and, you know, a pen. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what are we talking about right now? Um, and, uh, and every part of it was just absurd. Like, literally, it was like, it's like, imagine telling your kids what it's like to go to the doctor one day, right? It's like, um, okay, wait. So you walked into a room, there was there was this person in a white coat, you told them what was going on, and they defined what was wrong with you. Oh, you went to a fortune teller. It's like, well, no, it's got it's all I mean, let's be real. Doctors are the fortune tellers of our time. No, it's not their fault, right? It's like doctors are doing the best they can. We've just given them the world's shittiest tools, right? Like I walk up to a software engineer, I hand them a laptop, which is like the sum culmination of all human advancement in this beautiful two pound device. And I walk up to a doctor and I hand them a stethoscope, a hollow tube invented in 1816. You know, when you were a kid and you want to hear what your parents were saying in the other room and you like, you took a glass to, up to the door. Like, like literally that's what a, that's what a stethoscope is. I totally got, um, I totally actually got really pissed in my first week at Ford. I bought a stethoscope because I'm an engineer. And so I, I like to buy things. And then I did exactly what you would expect, which is I took a pair of scissors and I cut it open and then I looked inside and it was hollow and I got pissed. I was like, no way. They totally scammed me. There's nothing inside this one. And then I went up to one of our doctors and I was like, look, they scammed me. And he goes, no, no, no. That's how stethoscopes work. I'm like, what do you mean? That's how stethoscopes work. Where are the wires? Where's the, and he goes, no, they're just a hollow tube. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now? That's how stethoscopes work? Like, this is how you're literally saving my life? And, and he's like, yeah, that's just it. And I'm like, okay, this, at some point, can we just say like the emperor's wearing no clothes and just like admit it? Like, like this is absurd. 
And so, so yes, at some point, let's just like throw it all out. You know, there's so many aspects to this, right? There's like, there's the insurance aspect then there's the education aspect of, of, you know, doctors learning, you know, going through med school and learning all these things. Right. And then, and then there's like the hospitals and the inefficiencies there. Like, how do you, where, like, where does yeah. it all begin? Yeah. Okay. Really simple. Really, really, really simple. Ford only has one key insight and one key insight that you got to understand. And once you understand this key insight, everything starts to change. Okay. Imagine I walk up to you and I say, okay, uh, okay, um, Posh, I want to, I want to get doctors to the whole planet. I want to get doctors to the middle of India. I want to get doctors to the middle of Rwanda. I want to get doctors to billions of people. Okay. Um, what are you going to say? You're going to say, okay, okay, Adrian, where are you going to get all these doctors and who the hell is going to pay for them? But now imagine I walk up to you and I say, uh, I want to get smartphones to the whole planet. I want to get smartphones to the middle of India. I want to get smartphones to the middle of Rwanda. I want to get smartphones to the whole planet. You're going to say, Adrian, not only do I think it's possible, I think it's kind of already happened. I think you're kind of late to the game, right? So what do you intuitively know? You intuitively know that technology scales in a way that humans don't. Or another way to say it is hardware and software scales in a way that like doctors and nurses don't. So at Ford, we only have one key insight that we believe that nobody else believes. We believe healthcare should be a product, not a service. We just want to take everything that doctors and nurses are doing and just migrate it over to hardware and software. Because if you do that, you can scale healthcare out to the planet. You can scale it. You can bring the cost down. Healthcare becomes incredibly inexpensive. You can make it super accessible. Oh my God, it's like literally on every street corner. We've got the internet on every street corner. But there's also this beautiful thing, which is the rate of innovation starts to go through the roof. Look at what happens on my mobile phone, right? Like you've got this 22-year-old named like Kevin Zistrom who goes, I built Instagram in a weekend. Well, yeah, no shit you built it in a, in a weekend after 10,000 engineers built the world's best camera, the world's best operating system, the world's best glass, the world's best cell tower. You come, you put icing on the cake, you built it in a weekend and it takes off, right? Because the rate of innovation and the rate of learning goes through the roof. Now let's ask ourselves, how's the rate of innovation work in the world of healthcare? Well, I'll tell you what, because I've seen it firsthand. Um, the CDC in middle of COVID was like, ah, oh, we got to move fast. We got to spread the word. We got to make sure everybody knows exactly the latest learnings on everything for COVID. So obviously you're like, okay, you know what they're going to do? They're going to write the protocols. They're going to put it in a language. They're going to send it out. And our EMR is going to download the latest information and just deploy it. Now they started an email list. They sent out some emails. Every doctor just read the emails. Are you like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like every doctor is just going to magically like read every email. So now imagine, imagine if like you were like, okay, but we don't want to just have our doctors be up to speed on just the latest COVID protocol. We want our doctors to be up to speed on the 1 million different conditions and diseases and things that could be going on in the world. And we want those updated a thousand times a day. Well, how are you going to do that? My phone's downloading like, I don't know, 500 app updates every single day. Could you imagine if you had to read 500 different emails and your doctor had to learn every single one of these and somehow your doctor had to communicate with every single member every day? Like, this is absurd. Like, this is crazy, right? Why do we live in this world? Where's the technology? And it comes down to the one thing, and you said it earlier. You said it, and it's the one thing that pisses me off, which is insurance companies. Like, honestly, insurance companies are the root of all fucking evil. And I, pardon my language, I just, like, really, this got to stop. So just ask yourself, okay, 
every job you've ever been in, right? They all do one thing. They'll come up to you every year and they're like, hey, hey, Posh, hey, Patrick, time, time to get your flu shot, time to get your flu shot, time to get, we've all been around for a fucking flu drive, okay? How many people do you know who are dying of the flu? Is there some big rash of flu deaths I don't know about? Like, are all well, my friends- Apparently during COVID, they said people were dying of the flu. Okay, yes, yes. People are dying of the flu, absolutely. But let me ask you this. Do you know any of them? Is there some no. enormous amount? No. Okay. But flu is the top issue that every everybody comes up to me and talks about. Okay. But now let me ask you this. How many people do you know who have died of cancer? How do you, many people do you know who have died of, of heart disease or heart attacks? A lot. But what's going on? Why is nobody walking up to you and saying, hey, hey, Bosh, let's talk about your cholesterol. Let's talk about your blood pressure. Why? Why are they so focused on the flu? Easy. The average tenure of an employee with an employer in the United States is just over two years. And you know who's paying for your healthcare? Your fucking employer. So here's what happens, right? Your employer is like, no, no, no. All we want is deal with the flu. Because if he gets the flu, he misses some work, we're out some money. But we don't want to talk about the cholesterol. We don't want to talk about the heart disease. Because you know what? We're going to start finding things. And you know what? We're going to start spending money. And that's, that issue is going to come in 20 years. It's going to come in 30 years. I don't want to save his life in 30 years. That's somebody else's problem. So we've created an entire healthcare system that's focused on keeping you at work, not keeping you alive. And that shit has to stop. Mm-hmm. Here's my thought. So you're speaking, like, in my opinion, 100% of the facts. Like, that is the reality. But at the end of the day, like what I find so challenging or what I find so challenging for you and forward or any company that's trying to make an impact is that you literally have to change the way people have done things right from the consumer to the doctors to, you know, employers to everybody. And that shit's hard because you have to change an entire system why is forward? Why are you in the best position to do that? Why isn't the government involved? Do we want the government involved? I mean, like, how do you change mindsets? Because it's a very tough. I mean, we saw it with COVID, right? Like even getting a simple vaccine, whether or not you believe in it was nearly impossible to vaccinate the country. So what, like, the truth is there, right? It's laid out. It couldn't be more clear, right? Whether it's healthcare, whether it's climate change, whether it's abortion, whatever it is, every the truths are available thanks to Google and other sources, right? But how do you actually change this stuff? Okay. So, look, I'm not an expert on government. I don't claim to be an expert on government, but let me give you my, my, my uninformed, uneducated thoughts. What I have seen is that government's Uh, are typically incredibly, incredibly good at policy. And if you believe that healthcare is a policy problem, government's going to be great at it. So if you believe that healthcare is going to be solved by things like Medicare for all, then sounds great. But I didn't describe a world where healthcare is going to be solved by who pays for it. What I described is a world that needs innovation. Uh, I described a world where all of healthcare needs to become a, a product. In other words, do you, believe that, do you believe that the government would have created Google? No, none of us believe that, right? So using the analogy, imagine you and I 25 years ago were like sitting in a library and we're like, oh, libraries are awesome. We believe the whole world should have libraries. Libraries are fantastic. Well, you can go to the government and you can say, hey, government, pay for libraries for everybody. And the government could do that. It might be expensive, but they could do that. But you need Larry and Sergey to build Google. And government ain't going to do that, right? Government's actually really bad at innovation. 
Now, could they help? Of course they could help, right? They could they could provide subsidies. And you see that even with companies like Tesla, right? Where the government provided an enormous amount of subsidies. But I don't know that you want government in the business of innovation. Right. And the reason for that is you actually want innovate, you want companies like Ford to have a to have a capitalist. Um, uh, incentive. Companies like Ford should die if the market's not adopting them. Um, and the next company should pick it up and the next company should uh, should pick it up. There should be market forces behind these companies. So I guess the better question would be, how does the implementation look like? Because yes, the product is there. You're building the product. You're going to improve it. You're going to iterate on it, et cetera, et cetera. But now again, you have to change the minds of me and my employer, both separately. So how has that looked like and how, how will that look like and how is that working? I don't need to change the mind of your employer. That's not true. I need to change your mind. Uh, I don't need to change the mind of your employer at all. I don't give a shit about your employer. I definitely need to change your mind. Um, let's just take a step back. Um, Ford today is a direct-to-consumer product, right? That's it. I charge you. The fact that your employer is giving you a product – that's not my problem. You're actually pretty used to this. You're used to paying for something you get for free. You just you just have a really short-term memory and you forget about that, right? So if I asked you guys, like, do you guys have, I don't know, do you guys pay for Spotify by chance? Yes. Yeah. Both of you saying yes. Interesting. Do you guys pay for Netflix? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, do you guys use Uber? Yeah. Once in a while. Yeah. Okay. So what's fascinating is you guys have public radio. You guys have public TV. You guys have public transit, but you're not using it, right? Mm-hmm. Your tax dollars are paying for all three of those, yet you're paying for the better product. Why? Because it's a better product, right? You guys went to private school, could have gone to public school. No, but you yeah. want the better product. So the key for forward is we have to build a better product. And if we build a better product, consumers will come. And in fact, that's what's happening already. We have a yep. product and tons and tons, about 60% of our consumers today, of our, of our members, um, already have insurance via their employer. But at the end of the day, they go, yeah, I've got this via my employer, but it's a piece of crap like, and I want something better, right? No, don't get me wrong. Some of, our, some of our members are like, I don't have health insurance and that's why I'm signing up for it. But the majority of ours are like, I just want something that's better. And every yeah. day, we're a tech company, right? So what are we doing? Every single day. We're launching more and more value, right? We started before it actually doing very little. And then we said, oh, now let's launch genetic sequencing. Now let's launch skin scanning to prevent cancer. Now let's launch uh, heart health programs. Now let's launch weight loss programs. Now let's launch mental health programs. Every day we're adding more and more. But remember, we're a tech company. We're doing that as a product, not as a service, which means we're not charging more. That's pretty cool, right? In fact, it's the opposite. We want to lower our price. So we have, we're giving you more product. And we're going to lower our price as opposed to the existing healthcare system, which every year is raising the price, right? And they're literally giving you less and less between the copays and the, the, the deductibles. They're literally just giving you less and less um, every year for a more expensive price. So at some point, it's like, as long as I just keep doing what I'm doing, like, I should win, right? I was going to, yeah, I was going to ask about the economics of it all, but I think you answered it. And the examples you bring up, Spotify, Uber, all these things, it seems like there's this equilibrium point where once the price gets too high and the service is too low, there's like a breaking point where people start realizing, oh shit, it doesn't work anymore. Like, you know, I need to find another alternative and then boom, there's a company there that, that, but like from what you've seen in terms of the customers that come to forward, when is that point for them? Do they have to yeah. go through it to really realize it? Or is there, is there some sort of like way to get them to like 
do it as a preventative measure is like once it's so it's not too late once once I need the actual healthcare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so just think about it as like there's not like one there's not like one size fits all, right? Different people right. have different things, right? But but just take a step back and I just want I want to give you a mental model, okay? Um healthcare, whatever, 10 years ago was was roughly, I don't know, seven, eight, nine percent of GDP. But whenever I say of GDP, people have this like theoretical response. So let's just make it really simple. Uh seven uh seven percent of your fucking paycheck. And now it's 20% of your fucking paycheck. Okay? Now, at 20% of your fucking paycheck, that's a lot. Now, imagine if your cell phone bill, like your Verizon bill, was 20% of your fucking paycheck. You'd be like kind of like hankering a little. You'd be like, oh my God, this is like pretty intense, right? Now, mm-hmm. the reason you're not super up in arms and you're not fighting a lot is you're like, I don't feel like I have much option. I don't feel like I can do much about that, mm-hmm. right? But the more that the other option starts to rear its head, the more that you're like, what the fuck, right? Like the more that you're going to start complaining, right? So what they have today is they have what's called regulatory capture, right? You're like, I can't negotiate this. I can't do anything about it. And let's just look, let's just look at some options and just look at what's happening because it's really fascinating. So if you've ever been in an ambulance, I love this. If you've ever been in an ambulance and you get the bill, right? Ambulances are like, what, a couple thousand dollars. I know in LA, it's like, it's like literally like $3,000 is the average ambulance ride. So just imagine if, you know, when you open the Uber app and it's like Uber X, Uber pool, Uber black, let's pretend there was an Uber ambulance option. Okay. Uber X is like 20 bucks. Uber pool is like 13 bucks. Uber black is like 40 bucks. Uber ambulance is like 3000. It's like, what the fuck just happened? Like, why did I just jump? So ask yourself just logically, was it, oh, it's because obviously an ambulance must be a million dollar vehicle. No, it's roughly the same price as like a, a, a slightly expensive SUV. It's like not so that much. I, I would, my only guess would be just there's labor in there. Labor, okay, not well, as how, much, how much does a paramedic make? Uh, slightly, slightly more than the, the chauffeur driver. Not that much. Like, honestly, they make a pittance. Um, uh, 60 grand a year. Um, okay. So now, now you must be, okay, Adrian, but like, dude. Like, let's talk about the meds. The meds must be really expensive. Nah, honestly, a few bucks, like not that much. You know what it is? It's that you can't negotiate the price. And so when you can't negotiate the price, they get to charge whatever the hell they want. So and and shirt- stupid question, but who determines the price? The government? Ah, I, you're not going to when I say it. Literally the ambulance companies, the ambulance companies and the, uh, and the insurance companies. And there's basically no counter pressure. They can just keep And they're regulated, right? Uh, barely regulated. In fact, in fact, it's a big issue. It's like literally going in front of, uh, in front of, uh, state courts and Supreme court, because like there is no counter pressure. And this is roughly what you see is happening, but this is all of healthcare today, right? Like no one, you don't have the right to negotiate this price. In fact, companies don't have the right. So companies are required by law above a certain size to, to give healthcare. And there's only a few options. So what do the companies do? They just keep driving up the price, right? Like, why wouldn't they? And so all of a sudden, you're like, this is bullshit, right? This is literally absurd. So as the consumer, you're you're just getting like, you're literally just getting raped. Like your money is just getting like taken, right? And this is this is terrible. This is literally terrible. And so my whole argument is, okay, so healthcare is going up 7% year over year, okay? That doesn't sound like much, but just so you do the math, that means every 11 years, it's doubling. So I told you that it's 20% right now. Great. 10 years from now, 40%. 40% of your paycheck. 40% of your paycheck, guys. Literally 40%. It's like insane. Okay. Mm -hmm. 40% of your paycheck. What's Ford doing? We're going down every year. That's our plan. We charge 149 bucks a month. 
pretty soon we'll be at 99 sure because of scale because it's tech because it's yeah. tech moore's law right your first iphone was 800 bucks now now you buy a smartphone in india for like 20 bucks dude right it's like it's tech right because we have an incentive to lower costs because we're direct consumer they have an incentive to raise costs because literally they're just like whatever money we bring in we just keep we're happy like like this is really dumb and so this is my point. My point, I'm actually, I'll give you the most contrarian view I have of everybody. Uh, everybody disagrees with me. I believe that the healthcare industry is going to topple on its own because I think consumers are going to revolt because I think they are pushing their luck so damn much that everybody's going to be like, what are you doing? And like, this is crazy. Um, you can ignore this thing at 5%, 6%, 20 is insane, but 40, like you can't find a consumer in this country who's like, yeah, I think insurance companies are awesome. I think they're great. I'm really excited by yeah. it. No, we're all like, we have no choice, but like they're terrible. And to so that, I, point, to that yeah. point about your contrarian view, like I would agree, except for the fact that we literally have no choice. So you do revolt and it topples, but what's the choice? Today. today. Yeah, today. Today. But like if it topples in a year, you're fucked. But that the choice is coming and you see the choice coming. And in fact, here's the mistake they're making. The mistake they're making is they're getting too greedy because what they're doing is by, by, uh, by trying to, by trying to usurp so much money, they're opening things up. They're opening the opportunity because today you're like, you know what? I want to work on my sleep. Yeah, I could go, I can go into the healthcare industry or I can buy an aura ring. I want to work on my uh, diet. Yeah, I can go into the healthcare industry or I can go to Noom. I want to work on, yeah, I could go there or I could sign up for forward. And every single time they're doing this, they're opening up all this direct to consumer. And oh, the second you open direct to consumer, you start building good companies with the right incentives. And these companies are investing in technology. They're investing in getting better. So they're creating their own, they're creating the market for their own competitors. Now you're you're going to say, yeah, but they don't do open heart surgery yet. Well, right. sure. Yeah. That was my that, that was me. My next question is where does invasive surgery come in? Like, there's obviously a lot of non-invasive operations, but yeah. well, let me give you an example. You know, um, what one of the dumbest things the healthcare industry ever did? They all got together. They decide what to cover. So they all got together and they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to cover this like this elective eye surgery thing. We're going to make it elective. We're not going to cover uh, LASIK." Uh, it took them about six minutes to bring LASIK down to cost. I know it's like twelve hundred bucks right now or something. Why? Because all of a sudden, when you're direct to consumer, you're like, I'm going to figure out how to make this stuff really cheap. You think of open heart surgery as costing what thirty thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand? Why is it? Why is it a hundred thousand? Why is open heart surgery not a thousand bucks? Can you tell me why? Imagine no. you land on this planet. You're from outer space. You're from Mars, and I'm trying to explain to you. Okay, two concepts. Uh, one concept is called the iPhone. Uh, it's built in a uh, factory by Precision Robots. It's got AI chips. Uh, it's got enough storage to store every book that's ever been written in all of humanity. It can connect you to any piece of information worldwide in under two seconds. It can connect you to any human on this planet in under one second. It's called the iPhone. The other thing is called open heart surgery. Um, and you know what it looks like? It's a little like when you're having a, a steak dinner you got your fork and your knife, except this one's a really clean fork and a really clean knife. And you know, your, your white tablecloth. Well, this time it's a blue tablecloth. And, uh, okay. So one of these costs a hundred thousand dollars and one of these costs 399 bucks. You're from outer space. What are you going to say? You're going to say, well, obviously the iPhone costs a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm going to say, nope, that's 399 bucks. And you're going to say, wait, the steak dinner thing costs a hundred thousand dollars. Why? Was there, 
Was there like ask yourself what like was there a million dollar machine used in the process? No. Well, was I there- just think it's this. Oh. I just I just think it's a. I mean, I, my answer would be I think it's just it's just this toxic cycle of medical school and insurance companies and well, somebody's got to get paid. Somebody's right. got to get paid. On that point, but the doctors aren't the ones really getting. I mean, they are getting paid, but like they're not getting paid maybe what they should be getting paid. And does that change things? Does it change things if it, be, if it, if it does kind of topple over? in your opinion, for, for, for doctors and medical professionals. So, so you got to ask yourself, you got to ask yourself a really simple question. Why doesn't, like, why don't we have the fancy robots for open heart surgery? Are they really that hard to build? I mean, we've got robots to do everything else, but like, why don't we have the robots for open heart surgery? In fact, there's this cool company called Intuitive Surgical here in um, the Bay Area that builds this robot called the Da Vinci Robot. You should check out its YouTube videos. They're awesome. It can literally peel the skin off a grape. How fucking cool is that? This robot can do anything. And it's like a million dollar robot. And you know what's so awesome about it? They sell it to hospitals. And uh, my favorite part, you know how the robot works? A doctor sits there and uses it. Look, guys, you built a fucking robot. Why do you need the doctor to use it? Oh, easy. Because... If there's not a doctor using it, who am I going to sell it to? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to make, it's like, there's a billing code and the rob- the doctor needs to use it or I can't have the billing code. And what you realize is like the incentive is all wrong, right? On the other hand, you know who, you know who uses LASIK? Roughly anybody can use LASIK because it's direct to consumer, right? Like a nine-year-old can use LASIK. LASIK has a lot of incentive to make sure like the lowest grade human, can, like, like literally anybody can use it. And now you understand the point of incentives. Um, and that's the ballgame. So open heart surgery will come out real, real, real fast when consumers uh, when consumers have that uh, have that incentive. And that's Adrian, just just off that like surgery or just like the invasive surgery thing. Like the one thing that I think of is like as a consumer, as the patient, right? Like where does how do you shift trust, right? Because I think that's a big piece of this. Is that you know for centuries or for at least a hundred years or decades or whatever the number is human beings are the ones that have performed surgeries, right? Things like, you know, the whoop tracker or the aura or whatever. It's not invasive. My bed sheet, whatever with eight sleep, right? I mean, name all these products. They're not necessarily like inside my body. They're like outside my body. Once you start getting inside the body, forget privacy, privacy. I don't, I don't really give a shit for that at this point. How do you shift the trust of a robot performing open heart surgery on me versus a human being who's done 16 years of fucking school, you know, that supposedly is supposed to know everything, has a God complex, et cetera, et cetera, versus a robot? Yeah. You know, what's funny is that um, what's funny is that you think you think we don't trust robots um, that um, uh it's kind of fascinating how um, how whenever we w- whenever we imagine um, the world, we imagine it very differently than it comes about. So you live in LA. Imagine if I told you that you should move from LA and you should move to my city. My I've got this new city. It's really awesome. Um, uh, it's actually run entirely by robots. It's like robots help us everywhere. Um, in fact, robots are amazing. They're really big. We haven't made them very small yet. They're about usually about four thousand pounds. They're they're uh, they're pretty large. Um, they're, they're moving around a super fast. We've gotten them to be so fast. In fact, that sometimes 50, 60 miles an hour, sometimes just, just even a few feet away from us as we're walking around. But honestly, mm-hmm. they're incredibly useful. Honestly, sometimes they do kill people. 
They do. And it's, um, it's unfortunate. We do. Um, it's not terrible. Uh, but honestly, you should move to that city because it's just so much more useful having those robots everywhere. But, you know, it's not perfect. We, we do sometimes have accidents. Um, you would say this sounds crazy, right? And I would say they're called cars and they're everywhere, right? Um, uh, and so we're actually really used to robots. Um, we're used to technology. If you don't believe me, I would just encourage you to go to a doctor. Uh, walk in and just have the doctor look you up and down and be like, ah, you've got cancer. What's the first thing you're going to say? You're fucking kidding me. Run more tests. I want to see that. I want to like, literally it's the first words out of anybody's mouth. If you tell them they have a diagnosis, run more tests, right? I want to see, I want to see the CT scan and I want to see the blood test. And I want to, it's like, actually you trust the technology more than the, more than the human, right? Like we're very used to technology at this point. What you're describing is actually a different problem, which is bad design. And so when you envision, um, when you envision robots, you envision something from like Terminator, like, or like RoboCop coming out with like, but it's actually robots just look really different than that, right? Robots, like your dishwasher is a robot. I hate to break it to you. Like, imagine if I told you I'm going to put, um, I'm going to put a, uh, the world's sharpest knife in middle of your house. Um, I'm going to spin it at 10,000 RPM. You're like, that's really fucking scary. Oops. Um, you're like, that's really fucking scary. And I'm going to say that's called a garbage disposal and you use it every day, right? Um, and it's like, again, it's just about good design. Um, uh, imagine if I told you like, actually, I'm going to put uh, a robot that has steel bars that literally will lock you in to a place wherever you are so that you can't get in or out. And you're like, that's really fucking scary. I'm like, that's called door locks in a car. And like, every time you start driving, the doors just lock. That's what they do. You know, it's like, like, this is what happens all the time. Um, uh, and so again, it's just about making sure that like, whatever you do has really, really good experiences. If you look at how you live your life today, like the standard human wakes up in the morning, right? And what do we do? Well, I don't know. We, uh, we open our, like we open our phones, right? And we're like, oh, I got to go somewhere. So we open Google and Google is like, turn left, turn right. So the robots are already commanding us around, turn left, turn right. Right. Um, and then we're like, oh, I want to go on a date tonight. So we open them, I don't know, Hinge and Tinder. And it's like, go mate with this person and go mate with that person. Like now I'm hungry. And it's like, then you open up, I don't know, like Yelp and open table. And it's like, go eat here and go eat that. The robots have already taken over guys. Like they're telling us what to do, you know? But again, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like they're in service of us because it's good design. And that's the key. The key is to make sure that like, it's not, it's not like Terminator RoboCop. The key, the key is to make sure that we are the ones controlling them and they are in service of us. I'm I'm curious, besides all this stuff as a founder or like as an individual, how did you become such a great like storyteller salesman? Like, and I say that with like like in the most positive, like respectful way, because just even from the way you describe and you know compare things and the analogies that you give, like you're you're describing a very boring industry, I'm sure, <laughs> for a lot of you, in a very like in a very like fun way. It's like yeah, fun. I'm to about to, to apply for that. a job to Forward, like that. Like I mean, hopefully, people that are applying to Forward listen to this podcast eventually. Um. Well, first off, I actually think what you'll find is that healthcare is probably one of the most exciting industries. And by the way, I hate the industry of healthcare. I really do. It's fucking boring. Yeah. Fuck. But like, but like, what can be more awesome than like? how I live my life, right? Like, it's like actually kind of exciting, right? Um, yeah. uh, like, when you, when you actually think of the long, the, 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 the long term, like, what should health look like if it wasn't just focused on trying to extract a bunch of money and keep you at work? It's like actually one of the most profound, like, it's all about like, 
I want to live longer and live happier. It's like literally there are a few things on this planet that could be that could be uh, more human than that um, and more yeah. exciting. Like like the world's best doctor should literally be like helping you find your best relationships. It should be helping you find your best jobs. So like we, we've created a healthcare industry that's literally just like this incredibly downside oriented reactive bullshit. It's like like one of the things, uh, and I'm going to answer your question in a sec. But but if you just kind of take a step back. One of the things you have to ask yourself, um, uh, so I'm going to say something maybe that I shouldn't say, maybe something that's a little controversial. Um, uh, I am, um, so so in the world today, um, drugs, uh, when I say drugs, I don't mean prescription drugs. I mean, uh, call it like uh, recreational drugs are considered uh, incredibly bad. I think this is absurd. I think that the world's best healthcare systems should be, uh, should be advancing uh, any form, when I, like, let's not call them like recreational drugs. Let's call them performance enhancing drugs. This should be where we're spending an enormous amount of time. Like I want my kids to grow up in a world where they're taking the smart pill, the empathy pill that like, why is the entire healthcare industry about like you broke a bone, let's fix the bone. You're going to get cancer. Let's fix cancer. Why are we not in a world where we're trying to make humans even more amazing than they are? We do this today. We just do it in really shitty forms, right? Like, Hey, go ride a bicycle. So you're happy. It's like, okay, great. But like, can't we build better technology? By the way, I love riding bikes. It's like one of my favorite, favorite passions, but I think we can go further than this with technology over time. And, um, but we've created an industry that's so, um, that's so unimaginative and so boring that we don't even, we don't, we've actually created it to be like a faux pas to even discuss, like, can we create a world whereby we can bring people together in, in better ways with new technology? And I think that's really a shame. Now, I'm guessing now, you're, a, you're a fan of CRISPR. Um, I'm, no, I'm, I'm a fan of, I'm definitely a fan of where CRISPR goes. I also, um, I also am a huge, huge, so if you look at like what, what Berkeley was doing, especially in like the, let's say the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, um, and even a little in the 90s, by the way, I'm like not a fan of what Reagan did to like make drugs illegal in this country, because what it did, um, what it did is the war on drugs caused a, an enormous, um, uh, we stopped innovating on uh on what drugs could be and like yes of course you don't want people doing heroin etc like that's bad but what you do want um like you don't want to kill people like i'm very very against like harming people but you do want an enormous amount of innovation in like how can we help people whether it's in their minds but also just physically like we don't try to improve people we only try to to remove uh, remove negative effects and bring you back to to uh, to homeostasis or to status quo, and I think that's terrible. Um, uh, like I would like to live in a world where we are superhumans one day, and whether superhumans, but there might be very like many definitions of that. I don't even know what that means, and that might be for society to define. Um, uh, that does not necessarily mean we can all run a hundred miles, right? Maybe that means we're just all more empathetic. I don't know. Um, but I do think like as a, as humanity, we should explore what are the bounds of humanity. Um, anyway, to answer your question, um, on, um, on, uh, on selling, I don't, I don't know that I'm actually the best at selling, but, but what I, uh, what I do, uh, what I do try to do is just try to say like, like, just imagine what the world would be like if you just rejected the frame of what it is today. So the one thing that, that I think um, I've been very fortunate, whether it's in my upbringing or just how my brain works, is most people look around and they see the world the way that it is. And I almost like, 
uh, look around and I just see the way I see the world the way it should be. And I actually look around and I just see things that are broken all around me. I just look around and I'm like, that is just broken. And it's just absurd. It actually frustrates me. Um, and, um, and one of the things uh, that I think most of us don't do, or many of us don't do is we don't just question enough. Um, we just take things for granted. We just say, well, you know, 20% of my paycheck, I guess that's just the way it is. And I would just encourage people when they just look around at things and just go, but why is that? Like, from any little thing, you know, you're wearing a collar right now. You ever think about how absurd it is that you've got a really like random ass flap of flap of clothing that just goes here or ever randomly ask yourself, why does the shirt like end here and not here? Or like, like just, just ask yourself a really simple question. Okay. I had this, I had this question, uh, to, to my leadership team. We were having dinner the other night and I ask yourself, okay, let's, let's take two, let's take, uh, let's take two questions and let's ask them. If I, if I walked up to somebody and I murdered them, that would be incredibly bad. We can all agree that would be incredibly bad. There's probably no world in which you and I would ever agree that like that would be a good thing, right? That's bad. But if I walk up to a tree right now and I urinate on the tree, I can go to jail as a sex offender. Holy shit, that's insane, okay? But if a dog walks up to a tree and urinates on the tree, it's okay. You think about how weird that is. You think about how odd that is. Yeah, I it's pee like, on trees all the time. Yeah, like, especially golf. If you golf, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm helping the environment. It needs water. Right. And Lebanese about- food has helped me yeah. grow. So you know, right. got to give back. I get your point, though. Yeah, if you really start paying attention, there's just a lot, a lot of absurd things out there. Yeah, it's just like it's totally arbitrary. I could go to jail. For something that a dog is doing all the time, literally every day all around as a dog. It's like at some point you're just like some things are just arbitrary. And at, at what point do you – and I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. At what point though do you just get so fucking like demolished as a human being that like you see everything bad or everything's wrong around you, right? Like doesn't that have a, like a massive impact to your mental health? Um, you said bad. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I don't know when, when, uh, when do you think like, uh, and I'm not trying to make the analogy here, but when you think of like, when Michelangelo looks at like a, a canvas, do you think he goes, Oh, it's so fucked up. No, he goes, Oh, like there's a blank canvas. I've got opportunity. Right. And like, I, I look and I just go, there's a lot of opportunity to like do cool things. And like, I think you have to be an optimist in, in many ways to, yeah. To, yeah, if you're if you're pessimist, you're probably just going to see like the downside of it all. And I just think I just really. think we can do a lot of cool things. I just like I actually I kind of have the opposite. People always say like, you know, hey, it's hard for me to come up with ideas of what company just started. And I was like, really? Like, holy shit! <laughs> like, like just look around you. There's just so much stuff in the world that's like that's not not in the perfect state. And like, there's so much opportunity. There's so many things that are just like, like ass backwards that could just be so much yeah. better and matter. And so like, I don't know, I, I would love to go solve so many problems um, for humanity. Yeah. Um, I wish I was on this planet for a thousand years. Um, I really do. Adrian, this has been like one of the most fascinating conversations I think we've had on the show. It's been, it's been great to talk to you. And, and just before we sign off, you know, what comes next from here for forward? I know you guys raised a you know, big round, I think last year to like expand across the U S I'm guessing yeah. that's kind of what you're working on now, but I'm sure, do you have plans to expand internationally anytime soon? What's, what's yeah. kind of yeah. next for you guys? So, so if you, if you kind of take a step back, 
what I told you is I want to build healthcare for a billion people, right? Um, and but what I do today is I build doctors' offices and I put doctors in them. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, he's not going to get healthcare to a billion people with doctors' offices with doctors in them. So what you quickly realize is um, forward everything we do today is uh, is entirely wrong. It's literally entirely wrong. And so you can almost think of it as like, this is just step one, right? This is, uh, I don't know, to, to use the Tesla analogy, this is our Model S, or this is, you know, step one of our master plan. And so what you should look for is, well, what's next? And you can probably, as you, as you start to think about it, you could probably like kind of conclude where we're going, right? Um, it's not that hard to put it together. But, um, but what you'll see from us uh, fairly soon is, uh, is the next step. And it won't be the final step. There's a long, long, long way to go to get healthcare to, to a billion people. But, uh, but our whole ballgame is we want to go, uh, we want to go touch as many lives as we can and help as many people as we can. Got a long way to go. So if you're listening and you care about helping people, give us a call. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Adrian. Can't thank you enough, you know, for, for coming on, sharing your story and all, all your wisdom and all the stuff you've accumulated and just like giving us the real, you know, it's been I great. Time. You didn't think this conversation was going to go like this, huh? No, not at all. Actually, not at all. Tell <laughs> <laughs> me about your childhood. I'm like, oh fuck. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the I question. Every single podcast, you either get a great story out of it, or uh, yeah. it's just a boring childhood. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll cancel my therapy session this week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you Thanks for your time. Too.